Hello, and welcome to The Unique CPA. I'm your host, Randy Crabtree. The goal of our show is to keep you at the forefront of the changing face of public accounting by having conversations with fascinating leaders and bringing you their stories, insights, and advice. The Unique CPA podcast is brought to you by Trimerit, the specialty tax professionals. Today, our guest is Jackie Cardello. Jackie is president and managing partner of GRF CPAs and Advisors, which is, is it Maryland, Jackie, or where? Maryland. We're headquartered in Maryland. Mm-hmm. Maryland. Correct. All right. I got that right. Uh, Jackie is also uh, the recently named appointed chair of CPA America's board. CPA America is a national association of CPA firms. And just about a year and a half ago, Jackie was named to Accounting Today's Managing Partner Elite list, which is pretty impressive. Congratulations on that. Thank you. There's other lists. There's other awards out there. I'm going to skip those for now. (laughs) Um, And then just welcome Jackie. Jackie, welcome to the Unique CPA. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Randy. It's my privilege to be here. Well, I will see if it's a privilege or not. We'll see (laughs) once we get into this. It's, it's, It's funny. We've been doing this for two and a half years now, and I had put you down on my, I think, original list of guests to reach out to, and I hadn't done it forever. And and finally, there was a LinkedIn post recently where Dana from our office tagged you or, or, or messaged you and said, hey, you should be on the Unique CPA. So I'm glad she did that because I was been for two years, I've been looking forward to this and, and, and just hadn't sent the invite. So I appreciate you getting on. Good. Well, thank you. Before we get into it, because we're going to talk about, uh, I think, you know, we'll see where this goes, but we'll talk about being a managing partner and the challenges you have, you know, managing a firm and it's a, a, a nice size firm. But before that, give us a little background of you and, and GRF and how long you've been there, how long you're in this role and, and just a little background. Sure, absolutely. I've actually been with the firm since 1997. So just a few years. <laughs> um, I came over from another public accounting firm as a senior auditor. And I never left. I've been here ever since and um, have worked my way up and became a partner in 2010 and became managing partner effective July 1st of 2013. Pretty soon after. So it was a pretty quick movement into that role, uh, which was interesting. So it's, it's been challenging, exciting, rewarding, all of those things from the time I started way back when in public <laughs> accounting, things are very, very, very different. Yep. And I sort of feel like I'm, I'm a little bit of a sandwich generation. I'm in between my senior partner peers who are getting ready to retire right. and the younger generation that came after me, the millennials that have a very different way of doing things. So yeah, you're in a unique situation. Yeah, and I and I think I I tried my best to understand both perspectives, and it makes it very very interesting and exciting. Yep. Well, nice. And now, you as a firm, you have a specialty uh, niche that you concentrate on, correct? Correct. Nonprofits. Yeah, we've been known for having expertise in nonprofits. That was the three founding partners that started that. Uh, they had a big belief in giving back to the community and being very involved in the community, and they walk the walk and talk the talk. And because they were so passionate about it, they were able to build a very successful practice serving the nonprofit community. And so over the years, that's evolved to become quite a specialty for us. And we serve clients all over the world. We've done a lot of traveling. 
we have clients that have federal funds from USAID and various different countries, different governmental funds and awards. So there's a need for us to go to field offices and see what's going on out there and audit. Basically, that's part of our practice of what we do. And not only is it a plus for clients, but it's also a benefit to staff. We have a lot of staff that really enjoy the traveling, of course, during COVID. Yeah. That all took a back seat, but we're starting to slowly get back into that. Oh, yeah. That's good. That's good. It's a, I could probably talk to you for an hour just on, on that niche practice. I love talking niche practices. Obviously, that's what we are as well as a niche practice. And, and I don't know if we'll get into this today, but you and I discussed before the show, you are not changing that. That's always your niche. But on the growth end of things, you are going to, uh, you know, what was it, government uh, work? You're expanding that? Yeah. We were also traditionally very heavy in audit. We do, we do a lot of audits. We still do a lot of audits of financial statements, but we've been growing significantly our outsourced accounting and advisory practice. And as part of that, we have the accounting technology services practice that is relatively new. So we're getting very involved in that. We also have built out a risk advisory services practice. One of our new partners named Effective January 1 heads up that practice. And that includes all sorts of enterprise risk management, cybersecurity, internal auditing, privacy issues, things like that. And we're also, as part of that, um, targeting and hand-in-hand with our tax practice, growing our for-profit tax practice, it lends itself nicely to bringing in more for-profit clients and particularly government contractors. There's a lot of them in the area where we are based in the Bethesda, D.C. area. So it's a natural fit. Um, We do have some already, and we had quite a few before, and we're we're starting to get back into that um, and building that piece of our practice as well. So we're still specializing in nonprofits, but now we have designated talent who will specialize in the for-profit and government contracting piece. Nice. So let, let's get into a little bit of what I said at the beginning of the challenges uh, that the firms in general face and how you're addressing that. But one thing before that, you and I talked, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think what you said is you you are getting more and maybe fully involved in, and your biggest client is the firm. Is that what did, did we talk that about? That is correct. Then? Okay. So you're concentrating on the firm are, solely or correct. you still have any client responsibilities? I still have some clients. Um, mostly I've kept my employee benefit plan audit clients. That was a niche that I started many, many years ago and have continued to build that along with one of my, I want to say newer partners, although she's been a partner for probably about six years now, um, Jennifer McCahill. And together we had that practice and continue to build that practice. So that's something that I've stayed involved in. Still have a few nonprofit clients, but um, essentially, my focus is the firm. The firm is my client. Okay. And so that takes us to then really the main topic, because if that's your main focus, your main client, which I think is great, uh, not every firm can do that. You know, I've talked to many managing partners of firms, and I'm always impressed when their main client is the firm, right. because it's it just, you know, people ignore that sometimes. And, and so from that standpoint, then let's get into the things you're dealing with. There's plenty of challenges in our industry and in, in, in general. There's challenges every industry. I mean, it, it, we're, we're not really unique from that standpoint, but we have unique challenges within the industry. And so let's talk about that. I don't know if you want to just... Oh my gosh, it's hard to pick just one <laughs> because they're all significant issues. Yeah. And as a profession, 
evolves and changes and CPA firms have to evolve and change. I think probably two of the biggest challenges and, and it goes in cycles, you know, the staffing goes in cycles. There's been periods where, you know, there's massive turnover and you panic because you feel like people are getting out of the profession and then it sort of settles down again. We're in one of those modes now, and it's a combination of young people going into college and not wanting to put in the five years five to get years. their CPA. Yep. Yep. And there's so many other professions out there that are, I guess, sexier or more interesting. And although I happen to think that my career has been very interesting in public accounting. I agree completely with that. I think there's a misconception on what it means to be a CPA somewhat. And I think somehow that needs to be addressed to get more excitement of going into the industry. Yeah. So I think, and you know, our firm, we're unique in that, you know, once again, we, we, specialize in clients that have offices all over the world. They have field offices and locations. So that's very attractive to young people who want to travel and see the world. We have a mantra. We say joins GRF, see the world. Nice. But you know, other than that, it's, it's, it's evolving even more. One of the things I like about it is if you're a people person, it's a great profession. And there's a misnomer that accountants are, you know, these dull, boring, right green eye shade wearing, you know, head down, just not sociable. That's not true. Well, we've been at at many (laughs) conferences where we can tell that that's not true. Yeah, it's not true. I think it's a great profession for people who want to not just sit at a desk all day because you're out at client sites, you're visiting with clients or deal, you're, you have teams, team members that you're working with. And the profession is evolving and becoming more interesting. There's so many more specialties now. When I graduated, it was audit, tax, bookkeeping, right. basically, right. or outsourced accounting. Now you've got you know, infor- accounting and information sciences, cybersecurity, forensic accounting and auditing, you know, all different types of specialties. And um, so I think one of the things is that there are a lot of choices out there now, though. A lot of, a lot of young people... They want to do something else. And since there's such a shortage of talent, mm-hmm. the big companies are throwing big money at them, you know, especially in industry to right. come to work for them. And it's gotten more difficult to get the candidates who want to specialize, get the CPA and go to work in some type of area of public accounting, you know, serving, serving clients that coupled with a competition among firms for that talent pool, which is, you know, again, there's a shortage everywhere of staff, right? You know, we hear about the great resignation and, you know, the baby boomers are retiring. So you've got a small, a shrinking pool of staff and the same number, if not more firms that are competing for those people. And then once you get them, the challenge is keeping them. It's retention because recruiters are calling daily the gloves are off. There's no more professional courtesy. They're calling them. They're, they're reaching out to them on LinkedIn. It is very challenging. So that's one of the big issues we're facing. And then, of course, piggybacking on that are salaries and benefits. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things we're facing is with the talent war, the salaries, I mean, you've got firms that are just throwing money at people and that's a quickly escalating cost. It is, it is quickly becoming that and technology are the two highest expenses. Right of any CPA firm. 
And I'm sure that's true with any company in general. And it's keeping up, being able to keep up with the market and being able to pay the salaries and the benefits that are going to attract and keep people. But it's also culture too. Once you get them, you know, part of the retention is the culture. And so culture is uh, obviously something I know you're passionate about. And and so to attract and retain, is culture a big part of it? I mean, what are you doing to, you know, combat this rising salaries and, and everything else in the industry? Well, we've done multiple things. And years ago now, we formed an employee engagement committee. And we've been pretty active with that. It's basically no partners attend. It's our human resources director. And anyone is free to come and attend. And it's essentially a way for staff to get together. It's a forum for them to talk and come up with ideas about what's working really well, what's not working so well. You know, what can we do to keep employees more engaged and and happy and want them to stay? We've recently talked about implementing what we call stay interviews. That's actually one of the ideas of our newly appointed chief DE&I officer, Trevor Williams, who's also a partner with our firm. We will be doing stay interviews because, you know, companies are really great at doing exit interviews. They want to know why you're leaving. By then it's too late. So we're going to start talking to people and being very proactive and, hey, you know, why do you like working here? What are we doing right? What can we do better? And, you know, especially during COVID, we've been doing regular touches and outreaching to the employees with the department leaders, you know, but I think that needs to be more frequent. And again, there's, you know, public accounting has a reputation of high turnover. You know, you burn your people out, you work 50, 60 hours plus a week. You know, it used to be you put in two years of public accounting and then you leave and go somewhere else. Now, you know, even two years is a stretch. People are jumping around from job to job and they can, you know, it doesn't matter anymore. If you go somewhere and you have four months on your resume, they want you badly enough. They're going to take you. You can do it anywhere with remote work. You can do it anywhere. You can do it anywhere. Yeah. So that's changed too. You know, it's a combination of culture and being able to keep up with market in terms of salary and benefits to be able to get the people and keep them. And we're very, very passionate about our culture, um, which is one of the reasons we, we are adamant that we want to remain independent as a firm because we don't want that culture to change. Yep. We think we have a really great thing. And as long as we work together, we can keep that going and we can continue to grow, you know, just looking for different ways to make sure that the culture is inviting people feel included. And that's why we formed about three, four years ago, the, the DE&I, it started out as a diversity and inclusion initiative. And then we formed a committee, which is now DE&I, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And by taking a step, to further appoint one of our partners to be in charge of that particular initiative, we feel it's important enough that it deserves special attention and special focus from someone who is very passionate about that to ensure that we're building and maintaining a culture where people feel welcome and included and like they have a voice and they're valued. And how do you do that? What is the, what is the committee's role or what is their, what are they charged with? Is it an interview process with employees? How are we doing? How we feel? Essentially. Yeah. It's basically an open forum. You know, people can always approach any of us, our HR director, any of the partners, any of the directors of the administrative team to say, Hey, I have an idea, you know, if it's forwarding an article or, 
you know, we do surveys regularly, anonymous surveys. We send out employee surveys to find out, you know, on various different topics. And then we address those at a staff meeting or at the employee engagement committee level and say, here's what came up during a survey. Let's talk about this. And, you know, we're trying to give people, again, a way to voice their likes, their dislikes, their concerns, you know, their approval without putting a spotlight on someone, making them feel uncomfortable. But we encourage people to talk openly. That's why we don't allow partners at these meetings because we want people to be able to talk amongst themselves. And then the HR director brings those ideas to the partner group to me first. And we talk about it and say, okay, here's some ideas that came up. Here's some things we would need to work on. Here's some ideas we have for things that staff might want to do to feel a little bit more included, particularly in a remote environment. Mm-hmm. And, and then when you're looking at DE&I, is this built into the hiring process as well somehow? Mm-hmm. Okay. How's that work? It is. It is. We have that as one of our pillars in our recruiting. We are particularly looking for increasing diversity and realizing, again, one of the issues that we've identified is that there's not always a diverse candidate pool coming out of college, right. not going into college to study accounting and finance and you know um, that particular area. So it's causing us to focus to say, okay, why not? Why aren't these people of different diverse backgrounds, people of color, you know, different uh, genders, religion, all the diversity, all the diverse um, population, what is preventing them from want to pursue a career in accounting or, you know, finance or marketing, particularly in this particular example, we're talking about accounting. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're kind of looking at that and examining that and trying to figure out going into the college level, going into even the high school level to start talking to kids, you know, going to job fairs, you know, presenting to them and trying to do some outreach in the community to get folks more interested in this as a profession. Yep. I think that's great. I guess one, one aspect to that, that I've seen over the last two years, as I've been doing the podcast, I've I've done a little research, very little research, but little research here and there wondering why there's not more women managing partners in public accounting. And you are a minority with that. I, I, I looked this morning and I think I saw, and this was from two or three years ago, AICPA, and I may have my numbers wrong, but I think they said like 23% of the managing partners were women. And I know I've seen this somewhere before that in general, in public accounting, there's more women than men. I think I've seen that as inaccurate. So I don't know if you know why, but are you, you I know, have a passion for that. And, and somehow you're trying to promote that as well, right? To, to, to make this a, a key topic to get women involved in leadership and in the industry. Give us a little on that. Absolutely. And not just women, again, yeah. minorities, yes. you know, from oh, different yeah. populations are seeing the same thing. Yep. What it is, it, you know, you don't see people who look like you at the top. So you don't think that it's attainable. And when I came into the profession, that is true that there were more women than men graduating from college and going into the profession, but very few of those women were making it to the partner table and much less to like, you know, CEO board managing partner level. And a lot of that has to do with mentoring and you, you need some really strong mentors, a robust mentoring program. And, you know, again, it's getting the message out. Our goal is not just within our firm, but within the profession in general, that 
you can have a successful career, no matter what background you come from, right? You can have it. You can have it, you know, regardless of, you know, and, and for me, one of the, one of the big obstacles at first was I wanted to have a family. I wanted to ha- I had two children. And when I first had my children, there were some roadblocks. Fortunately, I had some really good mentors and I never took no for an answer. And you need that. You need someone to say, listen, don't, don't let anyone tell you, you can't, you know, just because there's only 23% managing partners that are women, you know, whatever the metrics are for different demographics, it doesn't mean that you can't because you can, and you need to have a good mentor and, you know, a vision and, and, and we're changing that. We're slowly changing that in the profession to, you know, be more intentional about looking at talent that is not your traditional talent. Yeah. When, when, you know, I go to a lot of conferences a year and it's very um, apparent that uh, we need more diversity in Mm -hmm. the industry, at least from what I've seen. And and I applaud you for uh, what you as a firm and you personally are doing to that aspect. I think it's great. Thank you. All right. So we've done a lot on staffing and equity and inclusion. There was other issues that we wanted to discuss that you're having to deal with. Is there one that we, I don't want to skip before we wrap up here? Sure, sure. Well, technology and cybersecurity are another big one. Perfect. Huge. It is becoming, you know, it's not a matter of if you get a breach, it's when. Right. And we're having to spend, again, that's probably our second largest expense, may become, may quickly become our largest expense is keeping up with technology, not only technology from our side, you know, the user experience and tools that we have to provide services to clients, but then it's also the technology we're providing to clients themselves. Mm -hmm. And then it's the protection and the privacy issues and the cybersecurity and security of all of that, which is really incredibly scary. If you hear the experts speak on these topics it is really scary. And I was at a conference recently where we saw a gentleman speak who basically he's a hacker who's turned it into a career of showing how it's done. Wow. This is how it's done. This is what you can do to, to try and prevent it. And it is very, it's, it's scary. So we're having to spend a lot of resources on that, making sure we have a secure network you know, we have specific protocol that we're following. The remote workforce makes it even riskier because you've got folks working at home. They may be working on their own home computer. They may be working on a laptop or a computer issued from the employer. If they're using it for both work and personal purposes, that increases the risk that they could get hacked or, you know, get infected, uh, have a ransomware attack, have a breach, any number of things. We're spending a lot of money on training in that area. And I know that's that's one thing that a lot of smaller firms have difficulty with keeping up because it is it is a big expense and a big investment. And that's one that fortunately we're able to spend a lot of money in that area. That's one of the things that we're very we take very seriously. Yeah, and I can see that I actually had Randy Johnston on the show mm-hmm. recently and Honestly, I was scared when you yeah. you say it's scary. I was like, I left that with my my mouth just you know wide open. Like, okay, 
Yeah. <laughs> I am so glad I'm not dealing with that. I know as a firm we are, but then to transition from that, I think you mentioned at the beginning, not only are you dealing with that internally, this is a service you're offering now as well. I mean, yeah, we're starting to do more accounting technology and IT services for clients. And again, you know, it's something that a lot of people can't afford to have in-house an expert in-house. And, you know, we've seen you, you really do need to have a team and then you also have to have some consultants and experts that you can consult regularly on the outside because it's become such an important area. And it's one area that we definitely do not skimp on. It's, it's an area where we invest heavily. So we are providing and and, and it's accounting technology, it's it service. And again, it's enterprise risk management, cybersecurity audits, you know, kind of all of those it's, it's touching a lot. I just touched on a lot of different areas there. That's great. So one last thing I do want to talk about the social media climate and Mm -hmm. how that's an issue you're dealing with. What's that all about? I look at that as kind of a security issue as well, because everyone is on social media, everyone to some degree, especially the younger generations more than others, you know, and, and unless you don't watch the news or see the headlines at all, you know, that one misstep in social media can wreak havoc on an individual, on a person's career, on an organization. So that's just another issue that we have to manage carefully and, you know, make sure that people are following that, make sure that we're monitoring it, you know, because again, you put it out there in cyberspace and it's out there. Right. And so you as a firm, it's not only the firm, it's everybody within your firm now that you have to be Absolutely. worried about. That's, that's, I didn't even think about that, that level. Yeah. Absolutely. So we have policies and procedures with respect to that as well. That's a really good thing about it. Social media is really good in a lot of ways. Yep. You know, it's, it's helped us recruit. It's a great recruiting tool. You know, it's a great outreach tool, but again, a great networking tool. You have to be careful because, you know, sometimes you might just be posting an opinion, you know, something that back in the day, you know, you have conversation at a cocktail party and you exchange an opinion and it stops there. Now you post it on social media and it's there for the world to see forever, <laughs> forever. Right. Yep. No, that that's crazy. We, we, we have a, actually a marketing department within the firm and we have one person within that department that's just in charge of social media. I mean, it's yep. a, it's a full-time job now. It and is. It, it, it does make me a little nervous because I, I am apparently the face of the company and some of the stuff we're putting out there is is me saying it. And I do get a little nervous, like everything that you said today, I don't understand how you cannot be a managing partner almost has to have the the firm as their number one client. There's just too much. And if you're not, and if you're not big enough to do that, I I get concerned on how you can compete, especially now with private equity investing in public accounting and Absolutely. all the money they're going to throw at technology and how they're going to be so more competitive that way. And you're a nice size firm, but now you're not going to be able to spend what they're spending. And now exactly. a, a five person firm, they're never going to get close to how you're going to do it. So yeah, there, there's a lot of issues out there that uh, firms in general are facing. And, and speaking of which the mergers, the merger mania, oh, yeah. I mean, every time you open accounting today, you know, or look at any, you know, you go on your social media, another, there's another merger going on, another acquisition going on. Yeah. There was a big one last week that created a top 10 firm. Yep. 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 I saw that. Sure did. 
yeah. So, you know, and again, if, if you want to remain independent, it's becoming, becoming a little more difficult. Yep. Although at the same time, I think it presents a unique opportunity for us because it makes us more of a boutique firm. And that's essentially what we view ourselves as. You know, a lot of firms are merging because of succession planning, lack of it. And how are you addressing that? Well, we're actually in a, in a good spot with respect to that. And it's because we started listening to the consultants and the facilitators years ago that said, promote earlier, promote younger partners, mm-hmm. take a leap of faith. And, you know, it's not one size fits one. It's no longer, here's what the partner looks like. You have to kind of step outside of the box and look at people's strengths and their gifts. And we've been able to do that. And again, you know, we're, we're 160 people now, so we're not small, but no. we're small enough that we're in charge of our own destiny. So it's very easy for us. We're very nimble. We can shift gears quickly. We can make decisions quickly. So it's easy enough for us to have a conversation and arrive at a decision about the next level of partners. And that is so important to plan early because yep. again, with, and, and there's a lot, you know, of partners retiring and you just don't have the people coming up the ranks who either are qualified or want to be partners. So there's two things you have to look at. You have to find qualified individuals. You have to identify them very early on in their career, create a path to partnership, which is what we've done. We have a formal document, a formal program, Okay. start grooming them, you know, and identify. And we've also created avenues for folks who say they don't want to be a partner right. right now. That's not my vision. That's fine. Then, you know, we have a different career path for you. But identify those that are going to plan to be the future leaders of the firm in terms of being a partner, and then grooming them and preparing years in advance to promote them and be ready for the succession. So I think we've that's one thing we've done really, really well is promoting partners, new partners early. And do you, I know one of the things a lot of times it seems like people coming in, they don't even know what it means to be a partner. Is this something you educate them on then? Yes. Yes. And there's a lot of that. And that's, and that's very common in this profession. They come in and, and they have no idea. What does it mean? How do I know I want to be a partner? What does that mean to me? What does it look like? So we've created this document and this program, this path that we share with anyone who wants to see it. Here's what it looks like. Here's how you become a partner. Here are the criteria, you know, here's, and we have a goals-based compensation system. These are the types of goals we're looking at. Every partners doesn't have the same goals. We all have different goals based on what our initiatives are and what our strengths are. And we start giving goals to our managers and our senior managers to get them in the practice of here are your goals. You will be measured at the end of the year. You know, here's where we need improvement. Here's what you knocked out of the ballpark and, you know, get them used to that idea of thinking like, okay, I need to have goals in place and I need to perform in order for me to further the future of the firm. Right. Right. Well, that's great. Well, we touched on so many topics, and, but, but that just shows all the issues you're dealing with as a firm and you personally as a managing partner, Yeah. you know, and I'm not even going to list them now, but, but if anybody wants to reach out to you and, and find out, you know, you you're dealing with this, if they have a question, you know, that they want to run past you, you know, how can people reach out to you or, or look you up on our website? I have my email on our website, just ping me there. LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. You can check me out on LinkedIn. 
happy to talk about it. I think the future is exciting. I think it's, yep. I think it's, it's, it's going to change very quickly. You know, each year there's been discussion about the fact that it's no longer a five-year strategic plan. It's more like a six months to a year yeah. because the profession is changing so rapidly. And I think it's exciting. I think there's a lot of opportunity and it's an exciting time and happy to share. And that's one thing I believe strongly in is, is leaning on your peers and sharing with your peers, your experiences and helping out others. I'm, I'm a big advocate for sharing your knowledge. I agree completely. Me too. Yep. So, all right. Well, Jackie, well, thank you very much for being part of this today. Like I said, it's, it's, it's been two years in the making for me, and I'm very excited that we got this done today. I am too. Thank you, Randy. Thank you. And I want to thank everybody for listening today. Thank you for joining us today. And you can find all the links and show notes for today's episode, as well as more about Trimerit at theuniquecpa.com. Remember to subscribe and join us for our next episode where we'll be going beyond compliance into forging new pathways of delivering value to clients, diversifying your revenue streams, and leading-edge management techniques and styles. This has been a production of Twin Flame Studios.